Hello, and welcome to another interview episode of All the Webs a Stage. My name is Stephen Thomas, and I will be your host. This episode is brought to you thanks to Missoula Children's Theater, so a big thank you to them for giving me permission to use this audio. Joining me on today's episode is once again Austin Titchener, host of the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, and of course, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. At the end of our last episode, Austin had just mentioned that his daughter had worked on many different skills that were useful in the theater, and that is where we're going to pick it up in this episode. She has a lot of skills, mm-hmm. and so I'm, you know, you, you know, we talk a big game about, oh, don't go into the arts, but really, you want your kid to pursue whatever is, whatever they're passionate about, and the, and the hope mm-hmm. is they can somehow monetize their passion. Speaking of having multiple skills in the theater, though, if you could speak to real quick, if somebody is interested in the theater, how valuable is it to have those extra skills besides just uh, as an actor? Uh, invaluable. I would not be able to make my living as just an actor. I mean, I've never tried, so who knows, but I make my living as an actor and as a playwright and as a Mm. director Mm -hmm. and as a small business owner. You know, I have not found a way to make a living just doing one thing. Also, I have a low boredom threshold, Um, so (laughs) I would get bored if I was doing just one thing. But the other thing is, you know, when you're starting out, you want to get involved, and this is true for anybody in any business. You're starting out, you get a job at a place. The first thing you want to do is become invaluable to them, and that's true for any business. And, and, and the way you become invaluable in the theater is to know how to do a lot of things, to know how to hang a light, how to, how to move a flat, how to nail down a flat, how to sew a costume, how to run a light board, how to, run a, mm-hmm. how to edit sound cues. You know, I had to learn all of that. And again, it wasn't, it wasn't a chore. I enjoyed all of that stuff. But it also, you want people around you. Even now, we want to we, we work with people who bring a lot of skills to the table. Are you, can, mm-hmm. are you a musician as well? You know, can you right. play an instrument? Can you sing? Can you whatever? I, mm-hmm. I, again, it just, you know, a, 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 it's one of the reasons we, we supported our daughter getting a BA and we told her we didn't want her to get a BFA. A Bachelor of Fine Arts. Oh, uh, okay. That was the line we drew. My wife has a BFA in music theater from Boston Conservatory. She wishes she didn't because a BFA is like a trade school. Mm. And you don't, you aren't allowed in many places, not all, but in many places you're not allowed to take courses in other areas. And so as a BA, you can. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and BA, you could be more general. And we, and we said to our daughter, and look, you, we won't allow you to get a BFA. It, you get your BA, and then if you still want to pursue things, then you go to New York, or you come back to Chicago, or you stay in LA, a great industry town, or, or you go off and get your MFA then because you want to teach mm-hmm. someday or something. But not in college. In college, you want to try <laughs> everything and do a ton of stuff. And that's, so anyway, that's the line in the sand we drew. Uh, you mentioned having multiple skills that you look for in the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Somewhat recently, uh, with your productions, you've started doing a workshop where you direct rather than act your first shows. First of all, what was the first show you did that on, if you could talk to that? And how invaluable is it to have actors involved in those workshops that have those other skills? 
totally invaluable. To find a great group of actors, as William Shakespeare knew, is invaluable because they make your work better. As great a playwright as Shakespeare was, he would not have been able to create the roles he created without great actors to bring them to life. And it's absolutely a thing we have discovered as well. We first kind of experimented with this idea. I mean, historically, we rate our shows. We tried sitting around a table, and that got very time. Uh, that was a big time waster. And then we would write separately, bring it together, mix it around, rewrite each other, and then put it back together in, in some sort of form, and then start putting it up on stage and performing it. And then in the in in the and as we were performing it, we'd go, "Yikes, that didn't work!" Or cut that, or change that. Let's move this here. Or and also the other thing we did is that we would kind of half write it, three quarters write it, and then go, "Yeah, all right, well we'll put it up on stage and we'll improvise something in and we'll figure it out." Well, when uh, my Let's see, in 2000, was it 2000? Yeah, so it was in 2000 when my daughter was born. In 2002, we were writing All the Great Books Abridged. And I I didn't want to leave Dee to be a single mom with Mm. a four-year-old and a baby. Right, right. So I couldn't go out on tour. And out on tour is where we would shape the show. So we wrote it, Reed and I wrote it. We used one of our actors, Michael Faulkner, to, 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 to play my role. They learned it, tweaked it, and so Reed and I wrote it, and then he would be on stage as a performer, writer. I would be in the audience as a director, writer. And so, and we, and, and we learned a lot that way. You know, I'd be able to be out in the audience and say, whoa, the audience is way ahead of us here. We don't need this, 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 and this. Or... The audience really wants to say this line along with you. Let's let them, you know. Mm-hmm. And and Reed would be able to say, uh, like, all right, I'm on stage and I'm feeling like this section is draggy. What if we do this? Or I'm I'm on stage and I feel like they're not. This is not landing. So that's a thing I can go out in the next night and listen for. So I would join them for, for performances on the road. So then we became an equity company in 2008. The Reduce Shakespeare Company became an equity company in 2008, around the same time that you know, uh, the, the economic model of the Reduce Shakespeare Company changed. Mm-hmm. We had shows running in the West End for 10 years, and so we had a kind of a steady, not huge, but steady flow of a little bit of income, which allowed us to do this, allowed us to pay ourselves to write, allowed us to you know, send a lot of people on the road. That became not a thing anymore. So we have to, Reed and I write our scripts on spec, and we find uh, uh, we find a company of actors uh, or an institution that has access to actors, usually in, this, in the Sonoma County area, because that's where Reed teaches and has relationships with a lot of different schools there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we've come, we've put together a kind of a stable of actors there who are, who know our material, who know the style of our performances, and who are comfortable learning a bunch of text and then cutting it the next night because it didn't work, or moving it to this part of the show, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It also allows Reed and I to write, to write and then sit in the audience and go, all right, that works, that doesn't work. But the other thing it, it requires us to do is to write it better because we can't, quote-unquote, save it yeah. on stage ourselves we have to make it work so it works in rehearsal and that and makes sense to the actors and the actors can mm. say i don't get this <laughs> or what do you mean here 
and we can have those conversations, then they can put it up. And then if the audience doesn't like it, at least we gave it our best shot. Yeah. And, and just to speak to this real quick, because I know that uh, as an amateur writer, I, I get real precious about certain lines where I'm like, I need to hold on to that. Did it take some time for you to get comfortable saying, wait, I think it's the way the line is written and not the way they're delivering it that needs to change? Yeah, yes. No, I mean, that was always, I mean, that was always a thing you get used to, but get but you get used to it pretty quick because the last thing you want is to either be standing there with egg on your face or have your mm. actor standing there with egg on his face. And so you need to trust the instincts of your actors. You need also need to write it in such a way that your actor can say it, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and the other thing, once we started bringing in other actors, we, we quickly learned that, you know, what's funny coming out of my mouth isn't necessarily coming funny coming out of anybody else's mouth. You know, it was because I'm able to put a spin on it or my persona is such that the audience thinks it's funny hearing me say it you know and a perfectly good actor a perfectly great actor can say it and not get the same thing so when possible we want to change the line to make it fit the new actor i mean it's what it is what has led me to believe that you know some of shakespeare's lines performed by his clowns Mm-hmm. Will Kemp and Robert Arman were never were only ever funny the one time Kemp mm-hmm. and Arman said those lines and were never funny again. <laughs> and yet they're handed down to us four hundred years later. Oh, well, this is Shakespeare. It's classic. It's been, and it's like no, it's not. It was funny then, and it's really not funny now. Yeah, and, and I was curious actually in terms of references and having to update them. William Shakespeare abridged, for example, has the Titus Andronicus kitchen scene. Do you update with your cooking persona? Do you update that with as times go on? Or are you still doing the Emerald Lagasse impression? <laughs> well, we're, uh, it's a combination of Emerald and Julia Child. In my case, uh, we have it. I mean, it really should that 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 bit should really be written, be rewritten to be like the Great British Bake Off or something. But as as one of the not authors of the complete works of William Shakespeare, that's not my job <laughs> that's yeah that's that's not your your call there i, I understand right. that now you are a t- traveling theater i want to ask about writers because there is a famous writer out there infamous writer i suppose uh, that involves a demand about brown m&ms now i don't want to give away the reduced shakespeare company's specific thing but is there something in your writer that is a this is, sounds ridiculous but if it's there we know that this this place looked over our info. Huh. And if there's if there's also one thing that you would like to let locations know that you haven't been to before, this is something that we really want solidified when we get there. Before I joined the Rudy Shakespeare Company, I was the associate producing di- director of the American Stage Festival in Milford, New Hampshire, which was a Lort theater. And in my last couple of seasons there, we started doing Monday night concerts. It was two or three weeks stock, and so we had these dark Monday nights. And we thought, oh, well, we can bring in artists, you know, singers, musicians to do these shows. And we got good people. We got like Taj Mahal. We got storytellers. We got, you know, really solid, respectable people. But... We did not have a person assigned to take care of those people when they got to town. We didn't have a hospitality person. Mm-hmm. So every week it was like, oh, shoot, Taj Mahal is arriving. Uh, who's going to pick him up? Uh, who's going to get him dinner? Who's gonna, uh? and, and I didn't realize how, 
what a, I don't know whether you're allowed to swear on this podcast or not, but what a way to treat people. And I didn't understand that until I started touring. And we never had any problems like that. But there is a thing in our rider that says, food must be going into our mouths no later than two and a half hours before curtain. <laughs> and that in their mouths, in our mouths, is underlined. Because there were many, many times in the early days of touring with the RSC. We'd come around about 5.30 for an 8 o'clock show. They'd go, oh gosh, I guess we should get you some food or something. <laughs> and we'd be going, A, we're starving because we've been in the theater all day. And, 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 and B, you don't want to you don't want to feed us at 7:45 and have us spend the entire show going burping during our performance. <laughs> you know, so that was a thing that's it's in there and it looks ridiculous but it's there for a reason. We don't have, you know, one of these we don't have one of these things that like a brown M&Ms. But every now and then we still have it in our rider even though liability laws have changed what venues can do, we still ask for a six pack of imported beer. Uh, at the conclusion of every performance, and we rarely get it these days uh, because of liability issues. Understandable. Again, because you were on tour so much, I want you to speak to uh, what is the most interesting food you've eaten on tour, and what what is a food that you would definitely not go back to on tour? Well, I'm the wrong guy to ask, because I'm not a foodie, and I eat really boring food. I don't eat, you know, I don't have a thing. It's not like I only eat white food or whatever. But it's like I would definitely not have, I love Indian food. Love it, love it, love it. But would never eat it before a show. Mm, mm -hmm, mm. Uh, because it just does things to me yeah i mean i know when we're traveling we have guys out there who go oh we're we're going to wisconsin great there's 1800 different places we can go for pie or uh wait we're in texas we got to try all the hot sauce or we're in north carolina we got to have all the ribs Um, (laughs) maryland we got to have the crab cakes san francisco we got to have just crab and rice aroni uh you know i try i i what I try to do is sample the local beer after a show. That's how I get into the local um, culinary environment. Okay. And I do want to ask to not to play favorites, but is there a location where it, it pops up when you see it on your schedule and you're like, oh, that place, I am so excited to go back there. Uh, Bozeman, Montana. <laughs> Really? Yeah. We just performed there, I think, for the first time. I think it was Bozeman. Oh, I hope I'm right. But anyway, they put us up in this. I mean, we performed in a beautifully outfitted high school, but they put us up in this fabulous lodge. Mm. It was just private lodge. It was just amazing. And it's just one of those places where, like, sometimes a venue will put us up in a five-star hotel, and and, and it will be a drag because... We're not there long enough to really enjoy it and take advantage of everything a five-star hotel can offer. But also, every time you turn around in a five-star hotel, they're charging you $12 for this or $12 for that. Or and It's like, oh, come on. Uh, really, our tastes and requirements on the road are very simple. I need a desk. I need Wi-Fi. You know, it'd be great to have a TV, but with streaming, that's less of a thing now. You know, and, uh, you know, comfor- a comfortable bed. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> oh, place oh, that you're venues. excited to go back to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> venues. Well, we always love playing Washington DC. Uh we always love playing Pittsburgh. It, it, it's we love we love playing the Bay Area. We love playing places where we have a rapport with the audience, where we've performed enough times 
mm. where the, we love playing Madison, Wisconsin, because uh, we, we have a relationship with the audiences in those communities, and they're eager to see us. Sometimes we'll perform yes. at a theater where the audience is made up of subscribers who just got their tickets in the mail because it was part of the season, and they come to the show and they often don't know what it is they're seeing. So we have to spend all of Act One kind of bringing them along and explaining, look, it's going to be okay. We promise. It's going to be very funny. And then at intermission, they talk amongst themselves and go, are you laughing? I'm laughing. Oh, I'm laughing too. Oh, that's so great. And then they relax in Act Two. That's good. Now, is Act Two, I'm trying to think of all the different reduced shows. Is Act Two when we start seeing a lot more audience participation in most of those shows? Or is it throughout uh, historically, yes, Act Two has been we, where we put the what we call the APB, the audience participation bit, uh, and that's <laughs> you know the legacy of the complete works where they do, they break down Ophelia's psyche. Yes, it was an opportunity. I mean, the one the the the, the, the good thing about audience participation is, is that it's the good thing, bad thing is that it's hard to top. Like I saw Spam a lot. And I went, oh, they sort of shot their audience participation early in the show, and it's hard to recover from that because it's so funny. And so we always, uh, in, uh, historically in our shows, there's an a- APB bit, and then there's 10 minutes race to the finish. So a big, funny bit that gets a lot of applause is followed by 10 minutes of rapid-fire denouement. And let's get out. But, for instance, in the Christmas show, the ultimate Christmas show, Abridged, we have an extended audience participation bit in Act 1 where we rewrite the 12 Days of Christmas by putting 12 different people, nine different people on the spot in the audience saying, what would you want for Christmas? And then we sing it all backwards as the song progresses. Uh, all right. But then we also have a more traditional AP bit, APB bit in um, Act 2 as well, again, like seven minutes from the end. Well, Austin, thank you so much uh, for joining me for this conversation today. You can find Austin Titchener. He is one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and he is the host of the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, uh, to which I would suggest parents. It is mostly clean, but uh, if you would like to check each episode first before playing it for your children, that'd probably be best, right, Austin? Uh, yes, I will just say that I leave in and bleep out. <laughs> all right, fair enough. <laughs> I don't know if that helps you at all. <laughs> but again, Austin, thank you so much uh, for joining me. It's been a wonderful conversation, and uh, enjoy your uh, time in Chicago. Thank you, I will. Thanks, Steve, appreciate it. And that will do it for another episode of All the Web's a Stage. Thank you all for listening. A big thank you to Austin Titchener for joining me today. You can find him at the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, and you can find that podcast wherever good podcasts are sold. Also, a big thank you to Missoula Children's Theater for letting me use the audio. Thank you, as always, to Colin Vance for this amazing music. You can find his work at ColinVanceCreative.com. And a thank you to Daniel Blue Rodriguez for the new thumbnail artwork. Hey, if you enjoyed today's show and know somebody who would enjoy it, please share it with your friends. If you'd go to, over to iTunes or Apple Podcast and leave us a rating and a review, I'd much appreciate that. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week with another episode of All the Web's a Stage. Adam, uh, Jess, uh, Adam, <laughs> you can edit this. It yes, was the three I of can. us.